We'll give you one. And once you get it, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. I got a book here. It's on Christmas and the uh, importance of celebrating Jesus as our, um, as our Savior, as well as fighting um, materialism. Who wants it? Nobody wants it. Nick, all right. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be reading from verses 11 to chapter 8, verse 7. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is, a, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the other hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, for first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also, also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for 
this day. Thank you for allowing us to see another day. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I pray that we won't take that for granted, Lord God, but we'll embrace it in such a way that gives you the glory. Thank you for being our sufficient prophet, priest, and king. May you open the hearts and minds of everyone who is in this room today, including myself. In your son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this is the second week of a series that we are doing entitled Prophet, Priest, and King. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is our prophet and named a couple of things of why he is our prophet. The first thing is that Jesus Christ was a human being. So in order for um, God to, um, in order for man to truly and fully understand God, a man must uh, properly convey God to man. So Jesus had to be a man. The second reason that God is our, or Jesus is our prophet, is because his words are God's words. So we talked about how in the Old Testament, prophets would preface what they're saying by saying, thus says the Lord, and then they'll say what they have to say, or God said, and they'll say what they had to say. But Jesus, when he talked, he said, truly, truly, I say unto you. He didn't have to preface it by saying uh, God said, because he was, in fact, God in the same words that he said were God's words. And the third thing we said is that Jesus' words actually came to pass. And we talked about how Jesus not only um, predicted his death, but he predicted his resurrection as well. So, uh, and whoever holds the prophet, uh, whoever holds the office of prophet, they speak on behalf of God. So, that's why Jesus is our prophet, and we need someone to fully communicate God to us. That's why we need a prophet. Today we're going to talk about Jesus as our priest. So God came and spoke to a man and said, hey, I want to use you to deliver my people out of Egypt. They're in slavery there. I've been hearing them. I made an oath and a covenant and a promise to uh, your forefathers, and I'm going to use you to deliver these people out of the land of, out of, the land of Egypt. What was, that, what was that man's name? Moses. All right. Moses heard God, and he said, look, you got the wrong one. I don't speak well. I'm, 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 I'm nervous when I talk in front of people. I don't have good stage presence. I'm not eloquent. I just don't do a good job at speaking. And God responds to Moses and just like, are you, are you serious? Like, who in the world do you think gave you senses, your five senses? Who do you think gave you a mouth to speak? Was it not me? Am I tripping? Like, am I missing something here? Like, I'm the one who created you. Like, why, why are you saying Moses still being insecure said, I, yeah, no, I don't want to talk. I don't want to, I don't want to speak. So, so God didn't completely let, Moses, completely let Moses off the hook, but he said, okay, I'll send you someone. You're still going to have to do what I tell you to do, but I'll send someone to help you speak. What was his name? Aaron. All right. So Aaron's sons, his descendants, were consecrated. The Lord used them to be priests in the Old Testament. And so they would represent the people for God. It would be the people's representation to God. But even the priests were not able to approach God without making a sacrifice for themselves. So they understood themselves that even though they were priests and that they were set apart to 
uh, by God to fulfill this role that they couldn't go to God any way that they wanted to. Without a middleman, the people could not satisfy God and stand before him because of his holiness. And it's in the same manner that we can't either. We need someone who will stand on our behalf to appease the wrath of God because it is absolutely impossible for us to do it. We need a mediator, and we need a high priest. We need Jesus. When we first started reading the text where we are, it talks about a man named Melchizedek, all right? Now, Melchizedek is a highly debated figure in scriptures, all right? I'm not about to get into all of that, all right? I'm not going <laughs> to. You, you can, you can uh, wrestle with that yourself. You can, you know, uh, set, study that for yourself, search that out. I'll be happy to talk to you um, if you ever um, want to talk about it. But Melchizedek was this person who literally just came out of nowhere. The scripture says that he had no mother and he had no father, but we see him as being the first high, high priest in the scriptures. Now, it was given to Aaron, uh, and he predates Aaron. So later on, it was Aaron's sons and his descendants who were the Levites as well on down the line who would become the priests. But Melchizedek is the, is, is the first priest that we see in scriptures. And he gave, and Abraham gave this high priest a tithe. So Melchizedek is said to have no beginning, came out of nowhere. He was the king of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, the king of Salem, and we understand Salem to be short for Jerusalem. So Melchizedek's name literally means God of righteousness or king of righteousness and king of peace. If you made parallels in that name, wonderful. I'm not saying who he is. I'm not saying who he isn't, but wonderful. All right. But we see in the scriptures here where it was prophesied or witnessed that Jesus would be, or a man would come who is under the order of Melchizedek, not from the sons of Aaron, as the priests typically come from, but they'll be from Melchizedek. Y'all following? All right. So I stated that. Let's get rolling. Look in the scriptures. The first thing that we see is that Jesus is our high priest because he was sinless. Look at verse 26. It says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted before the heavens. It was fitted. That means that it was necessary. It was necessary. That means that in order for humanity to have a high priest that eternally satisfied God, that the candidate must be holy, innocent, and unstained. The high priest who went before Jesus did not meet these requirements, even if they were faithful while serving in their position. As a matter of fact, like I said earlier, they had to make a sacrifice before approaching God. Every year, they, would have, uh, they had this day called the Day of Atonement. And that's when they went to uh, represent Israel to God. Before they even thought about making a sacrifice for Israel, they had to make a sacrifice to cover their own sins and the sin of their households and the sin of the other high priests. This means that even the high priests, the people who God chose to stand on behalf of his people, recognized that they couldn't just approach a holy God without addressing their own sins. But this isn't the case with Jesus, is it? Check out verse 27. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, 
Why didn't Jesus have to make sacrifices for his own sins? Because he had no sin. Jesus Christ did not sin. Salvation would be impossible if Jesus had sinned. The possibility of us being reconciled to our creator wouldn't even exist if Jesus had sinned. The possibility uh, or we'll be separated from God forever and would eternally experience his wrath if Jesus sinned. God only accepts perfection. We see this with the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 17.1. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect whatsoever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. Exodus 12.5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Leviticus 1.3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. You get the point. The Lord was clear on instructions concerning what was acceptable to him. And Jesus became a man so that he could do this on behalf of his people. So man needed, be, man needed to be redeemed by God. Man needed to be redeemed by man. Man needed to be redeemed by the God-man, Jesus Christ. And no one else was capable of doing this. This is why Jesus had to become man. We often speak of the death of Christ, which is good, because that's where we find our hope. Let's take a moment to think about the life of Christ as well. Jesus never sinned. And this is something that we can't even wrap our minds around because this morning when we woke up, I'm pretty sure that we had a thought that was contrary to God and unholy. As we walk here this morning, or maybe even sitting in your seat right now, I'm pretty sure you had a thought that was unholy. So we can't even wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus never sinned. He was tempted in all ways. He was tested, but he was without sin. So Jesus' life is as important as his death. Since Jesus lived a, a sinless life, that means that he's righteous. That means that he's perfect. That means that he's without spot or blemish. That means that God accepted his sacrifice. For those of you who trust in Jesus for your salvation, you are declared righteous. God considers you to be righteous. He pronounces you as righteous. Now, the weird but dope thing about this is you are not righteous, and you know it. Like, you know you better than anybody else knows you. No one has to prove to you that you sin. Am I right? Thank you, Joel. <laughs> you know yourself. Whether you are a believer or you have yet to trust in Jesus for your salvation, listen to this. There is absolutely nothing, nothing that anyone can do to earn salvation. Nothing. All of us are damned without Christ. All of us are condemned to hell without Christ. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. Christianity is not like other religions where you, 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 you um, put all your deeds on the scale and the good, if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then you go to, go to heaven. If your bad deeds outweigh, that's not Christianity. That's not how this works. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. On our best day, 
we can't please God. All, all the stuff that we do by, by praying and, and fasting and reading our Bible, things that people think makes us holy, that means, as a matter of fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says this. Our righteousness is that of what? A filthy rag. Now, filthy rag, or, 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 or that word in that time, was equivalent to, Fred's just shaking his head, like, don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> a filthy rag was the, the cloth that was used um, when a woman was on her cycle. God says that our righteousness is that of a filthy rag. See, when we, when we fast or when we pray or when we, when we read our Bible, it doesn't make us holy, but it shows our brokenness and our dependency on God and shows that we're, we're fighting to, to, to have a relationship with this God who we have sinned against and this God who has giving, given us righteousness. So on our best days, when we do the stuff, uh, the good deeds that we do, I heard somebody say this once, take, a, uh, take in, in, in your left hand what I just explained about the filthy rag, all, I'm sorry, but soaked and whatever else happens in that process. <laughs> and, 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 and Paul says, the Apostle Paul says that everything that he has accomplished, that he considers it to be rubbish or dung. So in, 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 in one hand, you have uh, this uh, soaked uh, piece of cloth. And on this other hand, you have this piping hot dropping of dung. And this is what you look like to God on your, be- on your best day. Something that is completely detestable to God. So if we can't do anything to, to earn our salvation, or we can't do anything to earn God's favor on our life, how in the world does this work? <laughs> how do we get to God? Well, God in his mercy justifies us and considers us to be righteous. He, that's, that's what that word justification means. It's declared righteous. Not by filling us up with righteousness, but he does it by pardoning our sins. And this is not because of what we've done, but through Christ's work alone. He doesn't deposit faith itself or the act of believing into our account, but he literally gives us the righteousness and obedience of Jesus. This is why Jesus' life is just as important as his death. And in the same sense, he puts our sin on Christ. And this is what's known as the greatest change. His righteousness for our unrighteousness. His glory for our shame. His success for our failure. This, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. Does, does, does God accept you? Does God accept you? Are you without spot or blemish? Are you without sin? Are you perfect? If you're not, that means that you need a mediator. And I'm here to tell you today that that mediator is Jesus, our high priest. So the first point that we just walked through is that Jesus is our high priest. It's because he was sinless. Second point is this. Jesus is our, Jesus is our high priest because his sacrifices or his sacrifice was once and for all. Check out verse 27. He has no need 
like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. One of my favorite shows that I watched growing up was Good Times. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, I'm pretty sure you at least heard the theme song, even if you didn't know that was the theme song. All right. And he says, hanging in the chow line. That's what they say, by the way. It's a highly debated line. But anyway, there was a character on the show by the name of Sweet Daddy. Anybody remember Sweet Daddy? All right. So Sweet Daddy was always dressed in the, in the nicest clothes. So at that time, at that time, that included a fedora with a feather in it, all right? So we're looking at like the, 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 the 60s and the 70s. Always wearing the best clothes. He was just a, a, a smooth dude, and he was what most people today consider a loan shark. So he would uh, lend people money and charge them a crazy amount uh, for him to pay them back. So if he gives you 100, you'll have to pay him back like 300 or something like that, all right? Now, when you didn't pay Sweet Daddy, he would come to your house or wherever you're at with his two bodyguards. And when Sweet Daddy came, you already knew what time it was. You already knew what he wanted. There was no question about what he wanted. So even if they paid him, and, but they didn't pay him in full, the consequences and their punishment would increase as time went by. Why did it... Why, why, why did it um, why, why, why wasn't Sweet Daddy happy? Because what they owed him was lacking. It was insufficient. It wasn't enough. It's what, it wasn't what uh, the, 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 the agreement was. It wasn't what the deal was. Now, I'm not saying that God is a, a, a loan shark or a bully. I'm not, I'm not saying that. <laughs> and put that out there. But, but I do want you to see that it's in the same way that the sacrifices of the priests and the high priests were deficient. They were lacking. They were not enough. This is why they had to make it daily and for the Day of Atonement yearly. There was no set time to where God said, okay, um, okay, Paul, you're a high priest, and by the time you make your eighth payment, you'll be completely done with me. Like, that wasn't the case. The only thing that they had was having a hope in someone else who was coming. But being a priest was very laborious, a, a very laborious task and position to have, but it was necessary to appease the wrath of God, even if it were just temporary. There was, um, now, when Jesus went before God on our behalf, he didn't merely present a sacrifice. So with the high priest, they would, they would kill the bull for themselves and kill the bull for their family, their household, and for the other high priest. When Jesus went before God for us, he didn't merely present a sacrifice, but he what became the sacrifice for us. Jesus became the sacrifice for us. Remember what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Now, we, we hear that in 2015, or we read that in 2015, and we've been hearing about, you know, this Lamb of God, some of us, like Denny testified to earlier, grew up in church, or maybe we've been in church for the last couple of years, and we, we hear this term, Son of God, but think about what it means for 
someone who was in the Jewish culture. Someone who grew up hearing stories about this Savior who was coming. Someone who was familiar with the sacrificial system. People who grew up with animals, maybe as close to pets, and they had to sacrifice them at some point. People who did their best to keep the law. A society that was looking forward to a day where they have to stop killing animals because they know that the Lord made a promise to their ancestors and they know that God is the true promise keeper. Jesus, the Lamb of God, entered into this world and became a sacrifice. A sacrifice that was approved by God. How do we know that he was approved by God? Well, because of the resurrection. When, when God resurrected Jesus from the dead, he gave him uh, the nod of approval saying that he was satisfied with his sacrifice, which meant that Jesus did something that no other high priest before him did. He fully and eternally satisfied the wrath of God. If you want to flip the page, if you still have it where we first started it, uh, I'm going to read Hebrews 10, starting at verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take sins away. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take sins away. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed. Jesus is our high priest because his sacrifice was once for all. In other words, Jesus ain't dying on the cross again. It's, it's, it's a wrap. He did that. He did it right the first time. And guess what? It still works. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross at Calvary still works. Old preachers where I'm from would say that God is still in the saving business. Amen? Yes. <laughs> Jesus' death was sufficient for your salvation and your sanctification. Verses 11 through 12 talks about the priest standing to make, day, uh, standing to make the sacrifice daily that can never take sin away. But after his bodily resurrection and ascension, Christ is pictured throughout Scripture as sitting at the right hand of God. This shows the superiority of Christ's priesthood above the other high priests. So those other priests are standing, waiting to make sacrifices every day. And Jesus is not standing, but he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. 
This is what, when we do our, 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 our silent confession, or when we do our, our time of confession every week, this is what we're screaming. This is what we're silently screaming, that Jesus purchased our salvation and that we can do nothing but run to him and fall at his feet because we know that the sacrifice that he made was enough to cover our sins. This is what we proclaim every time we do confession together as a church, that our only hope is in Jesus and the sacrifice that he made, and it was sufficient. Now, let me take a moment to talk to a certain group of people. This may not apply to you, but I want to talk to the people specifically who deal with guilt. People who haven't made the best decisions in the past and the mistakes that you made just won't seem to go away. You don't feel like you can properly function at times because you're weighed down by certain actions that you committed. And to some extent, you're still ashamed and embarrassed about what you did. You wrestle with the fact of, has God truly forgiven me and can God really forgive me? The first thing that I want to tell you is that you're not alone. So it's, it's a whole lot of people who deal with this, even if they never talk about it. So sorry, talking about it. You're not alone if, 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 if you deal with this. And I want to tell you this. When Jesus lived the life of righteousness and died on the cross, it was so that he could reconcile you to God. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is the fulfillment of what high priest did on the day of atonement for the sins of God's people. So on this day, the priest was told to choose two goats. So with one goat, they would bring it to him, and he would sacrifice it, kill it there on the altar. But with the other goat, he'll put his hand on the goat's head, and he'll pray for the sins of God's people. He'll pray for the sins of Israel. And after that, they would send the goat into the wilderness. And the picture here is sin and guilt being removed from the camp. So when Jesus died on the cross, this is what he accomplished for us. It's called expiation. He removes the guilt from us. Now, do we have to still deal with the consequences and the repercussions of our sins? Absolutely, but that doesn't mean that Jesus hasn't forgiven you. See, we're we're saved, but we still have to deal with consequences. But if you deal with guilt, I just want to let you know that if you've trusted in Christ for your salvation, that God has truly forgiven you. And his sacrifice and his blood is enough to keep you. See, pride is saying that God's, uh, or the blood that Jesus shed for me, Jesus dying on the cross for me, wasn't enough. That's pride. We have to believe that Jesus Christ literally and actually removed guilt from us. So find comfort in the fact that you are truly forgiven. And if you do deal with this, I'll simply um, encourage you to be the church and, and, and talk to people. Because what happens is we typically, when we're going through something or we're dealing with something, we typically uh, go off on our own and we go on an island. And God never intended for us to do that. And once we're on our own, that's when Satan comes and has his way with us. So get into community and don't make yourself, put yourself in a position of vulnerability to Satan. Amen? <clears throat> the last um, point that I'll talk about is Jesus is our high priest because he continues to intercede for us. So Jesus lived the perfect life. 
all right? And he died on our behalf, and through his death, he defeats, uh, he defeated death and the power and the sin of the grave, and God gives us Jesus' righteousness, and that's the end of this beautiful story, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> you caught yourself, Tony. <laughs> if Jesus' work ended on the cross, we'll be in trouble. Right now, as I, as I speak to you, and right now, as you listen to me, Jesus is interceding for us right now. Jesus is fighting for everyone who has trusted in Christ for their salvation right now. Everyone who God has put uh, Jesus' righteousness in, he deposited righteousness into their account. Jesus is fighting for you right now. Check out verse 25, 725. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So not only does Jesus save us, which is awesome within itself, but he also fights for us. We have a, a middleman, a mediator, a lawyer. We have one who pleads for us and for our souls. And he doesn't do this as long as we're perfect. He doesn't do this when we're at our best. He doesn't do this, only do this when we're at our worst. He doesn't, he, I'm sorry. Rewind, I read that wrong. <laughs> he doesn't do it as long as we're perfect. He doesn't do it as long as we're, uh, we're at our best. He doesn't do it as long as when we're at our worst. He does it during our seasons on the mountains. He does it during our seasons in the valley. He does it when we're encouraging our walk. He does it when we're discouraging our walk. He doesn't give up for us. And Jesus is constantly fighting for us. He's in our corner, and he's our only hope. Meanwhile, Jesus, who is, I mean, I'm sorry, meanwhile, Satan, that's a big difference between those two. <laughs> meanwhile, Satan, who is what, the accuser of the brothers, is always bringing up any and everything that he can to discredit us before God. This is why John says, and we read it earlier, I write these things to you, little children, that you might not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate. That advocate is Jesus. And you know what? He cannot and will not lose you. Does that mean that you go and live this lifestyle of lawlessness and does whatever makes you happy? happy? Absolutely not. You fight against sin, fight to hate sin. But if you sin, you have one who presents you blameless before God. And it's not just temporary. Jesus will always, always, always be our high priest. And his High priestly prayer in John 17. Leo, you can come on. I'm not going to go through it and read it, but read it on your own time. But it's a, a, a beautiful prayer to God, of, uh, a, a beautiful prayer by Jesus to God, of him begging, asking God to keep us, keeping all that those who have trusted in Christ. Jesus Christ is our one and only hope to be reconciled to God. I'm going to read this scripture, 1 Timothy, verses, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. 
Right now, I want to, to, to sing this song that sums up everything that I've said this morning. A song that's called Before the God of Throne Above. We're not going to have any singers up here, anybody on mic, on the mics. Leo is going to play. And I want you to, to, to sing this loudly and sing it with conviction. Don't worry about if you can't sing because most people in here can't sing. All right. But everyone who has been redeemed by God and by the blood of Christ is a part of Jesus and God's and the church's choir. So sing loudly, sing with conviction, and sing with passion. Amen.